one of those is in Matthew chapter 2, and verse 16. It has nothing to do with the lesson. It just, I just want to clarify something here. In Matthew chapter 2, and verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceedingly wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and all the coasts thereof, that would be the limits, city limits, from two years old and under, according to the time when he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy, Jeremiah, the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentations and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. And so it's prophesied, it says that this, uh, this murder of these children in Bethlehem, probably up to 20, uh, as they estimate the population of Bethlehem. But it says that there was weeping in Ramah. But uh, when you look at this map here, you'll see that Bethlehem is down here. Here is Jerusalem, but Ramah is way up there. And so another case where the word of God is in error. Well, there's a couple of things about this. When it talks about Rachel weeping, Rachel, of course, had only two children with Jacob. She had Judah and, uh, and Benjamin. But what, what the history of Rama is this, is that Rama, the, a road that goes through Rama, was the dividing line between the northern kingdom, where Solomon died and Rehoboam took over, the tribes split, and really Rachel was represented the mother of Israel, and she was weeping because, because her children had split, ten tribes to the north and two tribes to the south. And so that's part of the prophecy there that it says that, that, that Jeremy and I won't go into all that because the prophecy is really found in Isaiah. But, uh, but why did it say that it's going to, when it, why did they say that weeping in Bethlehem was a fulfillment? Well, oftentimes in the Bible, there's a near and a far fulfillment of prophecy. And the near fulfillment was of, this, of the division of the tribes of Israel. But when, when we come down to Bethlehem, the weeping in Bethlehem of fulfillment of this prophecy uh, what you got to understand is this, is that Rama, the word Rama means a hill. When you see the, like Ramoth Gilead, uh, Gilead in the hill. And so the word Rama means hill. And actually, uh, you know, it says that they went up to Jerusalem. All this ground down here on both sides and down this way is lower ground. And it's up, not up on the map, but up and high to Jerusalem. And actually, Bethlehem is even higher than Jerusalem. And so, that's, don't get hung up on that prophecy. Now, 
when we look at here in chapter 1 and verse 23 of Matthew, it says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. Now, uh, I want, to, want you to go back to where that is found in Isaiah, and, and uh, we'll take a look at that. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. If you want to really get uh, the Bible to be enriching to you, when, when it gives you a quote in the New Testament that comes from the Old Testament, you want to go there. And so let's go there this morning and let's uh, look at this. In uh, Isaiah chapter 7, And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramallah, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. And so when it says it's the king of Judah, that's, that's Judah and Benjamin, the two tribes in the south that's around Jerusalem. Well, this guy in Syria, this king in Syria, and this king in Israel, they're going to go and fight um, Ahaz. And was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. And his heart was moved in the hearts of his people, and the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. And so the king gets all shook up, his heart's shaken like uh, shaking leaves. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and Shear Jasbub, thy son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool and the highway of the foolish field, and say unto him, Take heed and be quiet. Fear not, neither be faint-hearted, for the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramallah, because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Ramallah have taken evil counsel against thee. Let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us, and set king in the midst of it, even the king of uh, of Tabiel. And so he's saying, I know that these two guys are trying to come against you. Thus saith the Lord, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. But he doesn't listen. And what he's trying to do, he's trying to uh, go over to Assyria, which were his enemies with Syria. He's going to go up to Assyria, and he's going to make a league with Assyria and get him Assyria to come down and help him fight against the king of Syria and the king of Israel. And, uh, and he doesn't listen. No, I'm not going to do that. And, and then, then in the midst of all this talk about war, when we get down to verse 14, well, let's look at verse 10. Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. And Ahaz says, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. Well, God told him to ask for a sign, so he's not tempting the Lord. He, he's he's uh, really disobeying the Lord. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, it is a, it's a small thing for you to weary men, but you weary my God also. And so he's saying to the king Ahaz, you know, 
Uh, you're, you're just a, a weight, a weariness to God. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, how does that fit? I mean, how does that fit into the birth of Christ? And what's that all about? Why did he throw in there? And uh, actually, uh, Isaiah is going to have a, a son also that kind of fits into this. But what he's basically saying is this, that I have a plan that there is going to come a son from David that will rule on the throne of David forever. Why are you worrying about Assyria? My plan will come about. And he said, and he gave him this sign that a virgin will conceive and bring forth a son. Which brings us today, you know, we're all, we're all worked up. Almost every time we get together, some kind of political conversation comes up. And what's going to happen, you know? What's going to happen if they pass this bill? What's going to happen to our country? What's going to happen if, uh, if uh, Biden dies and Kamala Harris becomes president? Well, let me tell you something. The Lord is going to come back. Doesn't matter who's president. And so he's just saying my promises are sure. Now, what I want to talk about this morning is, is this thought of Emmanuel. Over 700 years before the nativity of Christ in Bethlehem, the prophet Isaiah predicted a virgin would conceive and bear a son and his name would be called Emmanuel. And, and we don't have to guess what that means. In Matthew 21, 23, it says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted, God with us. That, that there's going to be a, a birth of a child, and, and it's going to be God. God with us. And so, how can we know God? How can we understand that there is a creator. How can we how can we know there is a God? Matthew Henry said, by the light of nature, we see God as a God above us. And we know that uh, Psalm says, uh, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork, day unto day utter speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. And so we have probably the, the most concise and perfect uh, beginning of any book ever recorded in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. We know that there's a God simply by what we see and observe. So how can we know God? Well, we can know the very existence of God because nature shouts it out. When we, when we see uh, numerous things, when we observe the little baby and, and how it's perfect and, you know, it's got, got fingers and hands and eyes and, and just, uh, just the whole thing of, of life, that, the God, that there's a God above us. And if we could take an honest look at nature, it demands that there's a creator and that there's a God 
that's above us. It demands it. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows his hour. Day to earth, speech, night and night shows not. There is no speech or language where the voice is not heard. And so everybody hears the voice of heaven declaring the glory of God. So we can know God in that way. Ever building uh, demands a builder. Every painting demands a painter. It didn't just come come about. Creation demands a creator. Isaac Newton said, gravity explains the motions of the planets, but it cannot explain who set the planets in motion. Bill Gates, an atheist, DNA is like a computer program, but far, far more advanced than any software ever created. Looks like he had listened to his own voice that, that, uh, that there's something that goes beyond just uh, time and chance, that there is a designer. Mark Hatton said, people believe in God because the world is very complicated and they think it's very unlikely that anything as complicated as a flying squirrel or the human eye or brain could happen by chance. And so when we're thinking about God with us, Emmanuel, God with us, well, we see as Matthew Henry said, by the light of nature, we see the God that is above us. And then by the light of the law, we see him as a God against us. Romans 2 is kind of really convicting passage. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, by nature the things contained in the law, these having the law are law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts, and meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Every society, every culture, every people group has an innate understanding of right and wrong. That, 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 they're reluctant to do certain things and, and, and grieve when they do certain things. And that's the law of God written in our hearts. And we, he went further than that and wrote the commandments to be a schoolmaster, to bring us to him. But we have, we have naturally the, the man, any place in the world, whether he's ever heard the gospel or not, has the understanding that what I'm looking at and what I see has to be from someone greater than me. Just by looking at creation, I understand, you know, that, that he must be, whatever brought this about, had to have a tremendous mind. He had to have tremendous power. And, 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 uh, and, and even sometimes uh, some uh, humor about him. When you look at the duck-billed platypus, it's got a bill for a mouth, 
It's got a beaver tail for a tail. It, uh, it, it, it uh, has, it births children, but it, but it has no mammary glands to feed the children, to feed the babies. It has to roll over and, and the milk pools on its belly and the babies get its milk that way. Well, God uh, is, uh, <laughs> he's got a great imagination. And then, and then we have within us the understanding that of right and wrong. Our conscience bearing witness. And Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. And so we have, uh, now we know that things that the law saith, the same thing under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no place be justified in his sight. And so I know there's a God because he created. I know there's a God because of the conviction in my heart. And so in God's power, we see the power of God revealed in creation. We know something about God's glory. The vast size of the universe shows us how big and glorious God is. We see his creativity and very unique and even weird-looking animals. For the visible things from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead. So they're without excuse. Mankind is condemned not only because of his sin, but because of his re- rejection of what he can know by what God has revealed. They're without excuse. They can't say, well, I didn't know. I didn't know there's a God. No, there is a God. You can see a God. And, and we, need to, we need to, God calls upon us to seek him. He's seeking us, and we need to respond to his seeking of us. And uh, we're accountable for that. Now, uh, let's go over, I didn't put this verse up here, but let's go over in uh, John chapter 1. Talking about the God who has revealed himself in creation. In John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We have a God here that is a a person that is with God, but a person also that is God. He's the creator of all things. And all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him is life, and life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. The word comprehend there doesn't mean understanding, but it means to take possession of, to seize it, that darkness never overcome light, that light always shines through. In verse 7, the same came for a witness to bear witness of the life that all men through him might believe. No Calvinism there, all men. Who is not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light, John the Baptist, which was a true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And so I'm simply saying the God with us is the God that 
reveals himself through creation, reveals himself through the, the, uh, the conviction of right and wrong in our life. But there had to be uh, more than that. And he says there in verse 12 that he can be received. He was in the world, the world knew him not, verse 10. He came into his own, he only received him. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of God, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so John tells us in a wonderful way that creation cannot tell us if God cares. Creation cannot tell us if God's loving or unloving. Creation tells us nothing of the personality of God. You know? I mean, I can go out here and look at a Ford car or even a Model A and know that Henry Ford created that. But what I see he created doesn't give me any understanding of who Henry Ford is, what he was like, his personality. And to do that, I'd either have to meet him personally or read something that's written about him. And so we know God is against us, as we've read. And so there's a sense of right and wrong in my heart, but... How can I know there is an intelligent designer of all it is, and how can I personally know him? I can know that there is right and wrong, but how can I personally know him? And so creation and conscience leaves us short. And that's why Isaiah 7.14 is so wonderful. that thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That God came to this world. The wonder of Emmanuel. That uh, the God of this vast, wonderful, overwhelming, and its magnificent creative power came, <laughs> I want you to think about this, but if you travel very far out in space and look back, if you just travel to our sun, just as far as our sun and distance, and look back on this planet in which we live, you wouldn't see it. that God came here for us. We also call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. That in this world where it seems like everything is looked upon as how it relates to me, 
that we consider ourselves the center of the universe when we're not at all. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. says a lot about a lot of things. That he came, God with us. Spurgeon says, the great name of Emmanuel is eternity sonnet. Heaven's hallelujah, the shout of the glorified, the song of the redeemed, the chorus of angels, the everlasting oratory, oratorian of the great orchestra of the sky. Wesley said when he was dying, the best of all is God is with us. He wrote the song, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, Hail the incarnate deity, Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. The God was pleased. He set his face as a flint to go to the cross, but he was pleased to come, make himself a man, and deity living with man. And so God came, when, it, when we think about God with us, we think about the fact that he came to the world, us being all of mankind. God became a man so we might personally know him so that rights and wrongs of our lives could be forgiven. And the testimony of the scripture is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We just, we just read that. But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them was believed on his name, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And so he came to this world as God with us. But that's not where it ends. It is not just God with us as a leader, let's say the supreme dictator over all the world, but uh, he came to be a savior for all of us. And uh, he also he also uh, came to fulfill what Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, not my faith, but his faith, his being, of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives within me. God with us. 
Paul said, and who loved me and gave himself for me. That there's, there is the reality. It's not a hope so thing, not a possible thing, but there is a reality, real, that God is with me. Emmanuel, what, what a name, what a privilege. He came as my substitute. God with us is as the Savior, the very message of the angels was, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And so I can personally know him. I can know the unknown God that he, Paul, spoke about there in Athens. I want to talk to you about the unknown God, unknown to you, but he can be known. And when he talked to those at Athens, he said, God that made the world and all the things there, and seeing that he's Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. And so he begins with, there is a God, he created and he begins with creation. Neither is worship with man's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth all life and breath in all things. It hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. Interesting verse, huh? There's no racism. In the, we're all of one blood. And hath determined the time before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might fill after him and find him, Though he be not far from every one of us. And so in the sense that he's God with us in a, in a universal sense of the world, Paul preached there at Athens and said, if you seek him, you're going to find him personally. That God can, God can be with us personally. And how does that come about? I must repent of my sins. At that time of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Um, we, we looked at, let me see where this goes. Let me go back. We looked at Galatians uh, 2. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 3, 13. In Hebrews chapter In Hebrews 13 and verse 5, let your conversation, that is your lifestyle, be without covetousness. We know that another place in the Bible it says that covetousness is idolatry. 
And be content with such things as you have. Why? Why? What was the motivation for being content when everybody else has, has it and you don't? Because not everybody else has the Lord. And he says, For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Very interesting, these, uh, these, this, the wording here in the original. When he says, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Actually, there are five words uh, that are double negatives in the original language. And so it, it really reads like this. I will never, ever, ever, never, ever leave thee nor forsake thee. Now let me tell you that this world has a lot of curveballs it throws. There's a lot of mud that we have to wade through. And there's broken hearts and broken heartedness that will come to your life. There'll be disappointments that drive you to your quiet place and tears will flow down your face. But Emmanuel has come and he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Seek you the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and will abundantly pardon. Once I seek the Lord and repent of my sin, God is with me. And we've quoted this verse a couple of times. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I love that verse, and it should be preached on every year. Uh, uh, but, but I like, the, one of the things that's impressed me today is that it, where it's covered up by the wreath. In the life which I now live, I live by the by the faith. I live uh, the place. I live by the faith of the Son of God, not in the Son of God. I don't have to. I don't have to hang on. I don't have to maintain it. If I don't maintain this, I'm going to lose my relationship. No, I live by the faith of the Son of God. 
that he enables me when I go into those room and my tears run down my face. I realize he's with me, but you also need to realize that he will enable you. That him being with me is not just, oh, you, you know, this too will pass. It'll be okay. You know, other people are going through it. Well, you know, no temptation taking you such as common to man. Yeah, yeah, everybody, everybody else has went through it. But that verse means nothing. No temptation taking you such as common to man if you don't read the next one. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above the year able, but will make a way of escape. God is with me. And God being with me provides me what I need. And he enables me. Emmanuel, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. Hebrews 13, we just read that. God will stand with us even when all others forsake us. You can, uh, you, you can, you may go through that. Sometimes, sometimes there's events that take place in your life that are controversial for some, and and uh, and only you know what all the circumstances were and how God led in different ways. And you can't even, you know, maybe friends or family want, to, want you to explain it, to rationalize it, to excuse it. But there's not even the ability or the time or the heart or the, 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 the words to convey and, uh, and you can't even explain it. You can't even justify it. All you know is that uh, God is with you. And that's all you need to know. And uh, here, Timothy, at my first answer, before the, before the, the judge, before the law, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by in preaching I might fully be known, the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. He was spared his uh, death, the Lord stood with him and he took him out of the mouth of the lion. Eventually he's going to die. But when we talk about God with us, it's not just a universal sense. But God is with me. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. That God is with us personally. And as I said, he, Paul says here, not only did he stand by me, but he strengthened me. And Jesus came, and not only, okay, okay, so what we said, he's with the world in a universal sense. He can be with us individually. 
And also, he's with his churches, his New Testament churches. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you. And lo, that word lo means hello. No, it means, it means more than that. It means it's a command. Understand this. He's commanding his church. You understand this. I'm with you always. I mean, we, we want results, and we should want souls to be saved. We have the promise that his word will not return void. But understand that every piece of literature that went to a village, that God has his hand upon it. Every message that Noah preaches, God has his hand upon it. And he's with the God with us goes beyond individual, but goes to a corporate thing, his church. And then there's coming a day when uh, our walk on this earth will be over. It will come to an end. The great unknown. What is out there? What will become of me? And it's interesting to uh, study the words of dying men. It's interesting to observe the grief of lost family members. I know when my dad died, my uncle was there, my uncle who was raised in a home that taught the gospel but rejected it. And I was weeping because I was going to miss my father, but I was weeping, rejoicing, knowing where he was going to be. And my uncle, who set his two pews up and over to the left a little, uncontrollable weeping. Uncontrollable. Sorrow without hope. That the psalmist says, yea, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Emmanuel has come. And let me say today that if you don't know him, if you don't understand this personal relationship when Paul says, I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. If you cannot say, I know him in that way, I'm just telling you today that you can. 
by admitting your sin and trusting in him. You see this thing about Emmanuel and this thing about Christ's birth, it's, it's much more than just him dying on the cross for us. It's a personal relationship with the God of the universe. And it's never going to end if you've been born again. Because there's coming a day when we'll see him with our own eyes. We shall behold him face to face in all of his glory. And God will be with us in a physical sense. Okay? I hope today that you have a relationship with Emmanuel. You're dismissed.